everyone, and welcome to You Love to Scream It, a podcast where we watch horror TV and movies and other horror bits and pieces and then tell you all about them. This is still sort of a one-off series uh, when we're going to be looking at some especially like either niche or slightly more off-kilter or slightly more underground types of movies. They might be like a little, just like a touch too weird for you love to see it, but we want to give them the full treatment regardless. Uh, and today we are doing just that uh, by looking <laughs> at, at Possession. Andre Zulowski, I hope I pronounced that right, uh, uh, his Buck Wild 1981 Horror Meditation on Divorce, Guilt, and Toxic Relationships, starring Sam Neill and Isabel Adjanji. So, Marriott, I think you put this one on our radar. So I wanted to ask you where you heard of this movie as sort of the starter question. Actually, before I do that, I should probably introduce the other people that are on this podcast, huh? That would be a good thing to do. Well, I already said that Merritt is here. Hi, Merritt. Hi, I've got my pink socks on. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good. Sure. Oh, yeah. God. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, Colin is also here with us today. I'm I'm honestly just here to talk about how hot Sam Neill is in this. Good. That's that's Good. the that's the main talking point I have for this entire <laughs> this entire podcast today. Excellent. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad we all came prepared. Uh, and I, sorry about that. I'm sorry uh, to miss uh, be remiss in my duties. But I, I guess the question still stands. Mary, you put this on our radar uh, this week, and I, I guess I'm curious where you heard of this and uh, what your initial thoughts were on watching it. Yeah, I think I first heard of Possession a couple of years ago when I was working at Verve, and I was working with a friend of friend of the site, uh, Gretchen Felker-Martin, on awesome. a piece awesome. called The Cursed Interior women in horror and that actually might be the first piece i ever worked with her on i'm not <gasps> sure but it might be um so oh my god yeah. origin story <laughs> yeah this was uh this was a little under two years ago cool. and um yeah uh she talked about this movie in connection with hereditary and uh mm. also with excision which is a much more recent film sure and so I, I sort of went into this movie expecting it to be, I mean, I think I basically got what more or less what I was expecting because I feel like <laughs> Gretchen's writing on horror films is so evocative that it's almost in some cases like, like you get a sense of the scene because the yes. writing is so like goopy right. and like gross in a good way that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that I was like, oh yeah, I know. Like she talks about, uh, <laughs> like part of part of the uh, the essay. Um, she says the couple sits together on a couch as Mark drones endlessly about his petty needs, <laughs> and like, <laughs> yes. and then Anna withdraws into a daydream. You know, swinging her mesh bag full of milk and produce, sort of wild laugh bubbles up from somewhere deep within her. Uh, and so that scene was the one that I had seen before. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the flashback slash daydream scene right. with sure. the miscarriage, which is a yeah. buck wild scene. Yes. Like, yes. It's <laughs> excruciating, that scene. It goes on for so long. Uh, and um, yeah, so that's really all I knew about it. I didn't realize that it wasn't terribly well received when it came out. I sort of mm. thought it had always been held up as like a pretty good horror movie. But I guess uh, people didn't, 
it wasn't beloved when it was released. It was uh, kind of like the reviews were sort of all over the place. Some people liked it. A lot of people thought it was too self-serious. Uh, some people huh. thought it was hard to follow, but that might be because the cut that was initially released had like half an hour cut out of it. So the full film yeah. is like two hours long and it's a long two hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> the original cut, I guess, was a lot shorter. So we all watched the the two hour one, right? I think yeah. I may have actually watched. Mm. This I is the part the that's a little one. funny because it's something I'm going to bring up uh, a little bit closer to the end. I watched a, a bizarre cut of this that wasn't 81 minutes. It was definitely at least an hour and a half, but I don't think it was two hours either. Um, I believe I may have watched the Australian version, which oh. I don't know if it's different in some special way or what. Uh, but I, yeah, I watched it through a, a weird uh, means. So it's, uh, yeah, uh, I'm actually uh, not entirely sure. I know 97 I, I watched- minutes? Maybe mm. I think I may have seen that cut. I'm looking at Wikipedia and it looks like there is a running time, 97 minutes edited version and then 124 minutes. And then it does mention the 81 minute like original cut that came out in the US. So I think there is I may have seen the middle cut basically of okay. this movie. Yeah, I saw the uh, the two hour one because I was more surprised that a two hour horror film. There's a two hour horror film in the 80s because that's not something that right. really didn't happen often. Uh, I saw the I saw the length. And I'm like, is this is this actually a horror film? Because most of the time, these things were like 80, 90 minutes, like flat. Like they didn't, yeah. they rarely like really win unless they were really big budget or kind of really hyped up behind them. And yeah, well, this I, is also a, a, a Polish and West yeah, German exactly. Production. Yes, uh, it's, yeah, which um, explains Zulowski the which explains not, the edited version. Yeah, Zulowski was not like a commercial director, and. Yeah. Uh, also, it's kind of a horror movie. Like, that's the thing about this movie is it kind of defies categorization in this sort of easy way because so right. much of the film isn't horror. It's just, like, suspense and, like, drama. And mm-hmm. then there is this horror stuff that sort of, like, you know, is just creeping around the edges and slowly, slowly, like, pulls in as the movie goes on. Yeah, it's almost like the first half is is a little bit more surreal melodrama. And then the second half, I think, goes... Well, I suppose it doesn't... It's not that neat, because there is that sort of miscarriage scene. But <laughs> the end does feel like a horror ending, absolutely, and, and sort of uh, certain scenes of it. But it does feel like a, a very odd kind of mishmash of genres. Um, it did work for me, I, I will say that. Uh, but I guess we should also talk a little bit about the plot. Yeah, let's uh, talk about the what movie. the movie is about, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Sam Neill, uh, your friend and mine, I guess, from such beloved movies as Jurassic Park I and Event no Horizon. Idea. I had no idea he was in this movie. And I was so <laughs> stoked out of my mind yeah. because he yep. is one of my favorite horror movies as just like a hapless idiot. Um, also mouth of he, Madness? Mouth, uh, the Mouth of Madness yeah. is like one of yes. my favorite horror movies. Colin, yes. have you seen that one? Yes, I have. Oh, God. Awesome. So uh, good. It's, and then Event Horizon good. 2, he's incredible. And, uh, I love that movie. Yeah. So I was really excited about that. Yeah, extremely same. Uh, and to Colin's point, Colin, I'll let you say it. I'll let you say it. He's looking good here, he's, but I'll he let is. you. He is. He's very... <laughs> I mean, so this was... Uh, this is 1981. This is obviously before most people really knew him uh, in Jurassic sure. Park, where he really blew up. 
Yeah. Uh, but he's he's he does he's in this. He's very hot looking. He's very good. There's a lot of it's. So I remember you you guys saw me kind of talk about him in real time. So yeah. his his yep. character. <laughs> you can tell what point of the movie I was in. Uh, basically, back there's this, the scene. Movie kind of sets uh, Samuel's character up to uh, seem kind. At least in the very early early stages, to seem you know kind of like the underdog. You kind of want to root for him. He's having bad luck. His relationships pretty much falling apart. His wife is with another man. Uh, he's struggling with just kind of this whole idea. And there's Emma's like, oh, you know, he feels so bad. And then, like, literally the next scene, Sam Neill, like, loses his shit in a restaurant and yeah. just, like, starts trashing him. Like, oh, no, this guy's a bad person. She he's was probably, a bad man. Yeah, he's yeah. Just, but he this gives is... such an insane performance here. Like, yeah. it's... I wasn't expecting the this level of intensity from this kind of movie so early on because he, he oh, it basically yeah. goes from like zero to 100 within like the first 15 minutes of the movie for his acting and then yeah. he just stays on that cue for like the whole time they both yeah, do it, and actually early yeah. on in the film i was like wow they're both really overacting like it, it seemed like they were doing stage acting like early yeah. on in the film yeah. when they were like absolutely well, what yeah. am i supposed to do i don't know and but then you sort of like get used to it as it goes on, and it doesn't seem so uh, out of place. I think my favorite bits is when he's in the rocking chair and he's just fucking oh, yeah. like he's just going, he's going so hard and so fast in this rocking chair. And I was like, I was so I didn't know really anything about possession. I heard of the movie title, but I've I've never really looked into it. And so I went into it assuming because the name it was going to be kind of like an exorcist uh, style sure. movie, and yeah. in the early stages I was like, okay, I was trying to like guess which one of them is going to be possessed, and then when Sam Neill's just fucking going for it in that rocket chair, I'm like, yep, he's the he's definitely going to be the villain, but like, nope, that's just <laughs> Sam Neill, that's just Sam Neill. Being- <laughs> I really want to know if that was like the director being like, all right, so you're going to sit in this rocking chair. You're going to stare forward with this, like, insane look in your eye, and you're just going to go for it. Or if that was just, like, him, like, in the moment, just like, you know what? I'm going to make everybody scared of me, and I'm just going to fucking do it. Like, I don't know. I really... I think everyone in this movie is definitely overacting, uh, especially Heinrich was his name, the the other man. Oh, he is a... He is a whole oh my chapter of this yeah. for sure. We should, that I, that I definitely really want to get into. We back up and, yeah, let's let's yeah. do a little. There's plot. a lot. Let's go for the plot because there's a lot. It's it's yeah. actually kind of confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so sorry, I, I realized I, I had opened that one up, but uh, uh, he plays Mark, who is a spy. Uh, he's returning home to West Berlin after some espionage, some some mission, basically. And he and he's leaving for work re- for family reasons, so he wants to get back to his wife. They have this like really uh, interesting encounter. So they're they're in bed together talking about. He's like, oh yes, you know, talking about love and the nature of love. Uh, they talk about how they were both unfaithful to each other, and basically that's the last calm exchange in this movie. Uh, <laughs> it basically follows their divorce. In a lot of ways, like the basic plot structure follows them breaking up as a couple, having real emotional trauma over it. And then uh, you become aware of the fact that Anna, uh, there's also a doppelganger element. Let's not worry about that just yet. But Anna has a second home uh, where she may or may not be doing a bit of a hellraiser and and kind of feeding feeding a, a monster. 
basically. Uh, there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of blood. There is a monster who she definitely has sex with. Uh, she creates a sort of monstrous version of her husband, I guess, uh, yeah. is, is kind of what happens here. But really, this is a movie about a divorce. It's about monsters. It's about blood. It's about guilt, I think, or like manifestations of guilt. Uh, and it is, again, a very surreal, very dreamy movie. It's shot with this, like, lots of wide-angle lenses and really deep focus. Like, there's a there's a weird precedent here of, of sort of using both too much detail and these really weird wide shots that uh, is, is super, super affecting. Uh, but Down to the Bones is a movie about a divorce and perhaps a lot of the feelings around it. The, supposedly, the director actually sort of based this in... I wouldn't say he based this in reality in terms of like the plot beats, but he based it in uh, his own marriage dissolving and and a lot of like the feelings of that and and feeling so excommunicated and feeling so distant and feeling really fucked up over it, uh, which really kind of speaks to me as somebody who genuinely loves horror for how emotionally honest it is, even if a lot of it is not necessarily plausible in real life, like. Uh, these sort of extreme emotions and manifestations. And I think there's some great body horror in this movie. Yeah. Like really, really good body horror. Uh, especially the scene you mentioned earlier, Merritt, the sort of miscarriage scene. Uh, and also just everything that happens in that apartment with the monster uh, is is really, <laughs> it's really good and gross uh, I know, and, I, and kind of speaks to that. Because I, th- I know we mentioned a monster uh and that does probably that's probably the only real super like horror element, like the most noticeable horror element, unless you're really like watching it. But I think I think a lot about this movie and I thought about a lot about it after I watched it, just from the sheer intensity uh, of almost every scene. It, it seemed almost palpable how it, there was it was almost uncomfortable to watch at times. And I think come to that comes back to the surrealist nature of the cinematography and mm-hmm. how it, it it was just such an interesting... The camera like never felt like it sat still uh, for a lot of the scenes. It was always moving. It was always kind of following the characters. And then when it would sit still, it, it was deeply uncomfortable in some ways. And it's just... It's such a very unsettling movie. There's rarely like a moment where you kind of really get to catch your breath and you just kind of just go from one crazy scene to another. And like, there's some like eightiesness to it. Like there's some really, <laughs> there's some scenes that have not aged well. Uh, uh, I mean, sure. There's, we should just say, you know, I guess content warning and maybe we should put it up top, but content warning for sure for domestic violence here. Oh like, yeah. That absolutely happens. Like let alone the, the sort of, you know, monster stuff, the murder and the blood and all that. There is also like just straight up domestic violence. So, yeah. Samuel's yeah. not like a good person to his wife in any reality. He's very, uh, possessive. He's very, uh, brutal. And all of it's, a lot of it's under the guise of it wanting to just be a family with his son. And I felt like the son kind of got sidetracked a little bit, but I guess it wasn't as much about the son. Um, I will he's say just the, kind of a bystander in this yeah. relationship as his parents are breaking up. And he's very young, so you know, he has nightmares and things like that for sure. I will say the one thing, the one element that really didn't work for me was Heinrich. He just in a movie that's so Heinrich's the other man that I fucking uh, love that guy. I mean, not you know, I, he's a bad person too, but like the the actor is just like going for it. The, and he's going to a go on, go yeah. on. <laughs> the, the first, so he's the other man that Isabel is seeing, and the first scene you you, you really kind of get to know him is a, a meeting between him and Sam Neill, and 
Okay, so he's got he's 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 got his shirt open, and he it sounds for a while it looks like he's kind of hitting on Sam Neil. Oh yeah, oh and then yeah. He's hardcore hitting on Sam Neil, but then Sam Neil's not having none of that because Sam Neil is a straight man and wants to be with his wife. And then I don't know, fucking Heinrich like breaks out his jujitsu lessons and like oh, kicks yeah. Sam Neil's ass, and it's such a weird moment that I felt like doesn't fit with the rest of the film that I genuinely just could not stop laughing because of how absolutely ridiculous the scene was and that's just Heinrich's entire character is this weird like I feel like it was like a fever dream character that they didn't really like think through and how he would work with the rest of the film's tones and themes and they just kind of threw him in and he just it's just batshit insane there are a lot of like queer characters in this weirdly Like, there's yeah. also... Um, you can definitely the, tell it's not American by that alone. I mean, yeah, for sure. American <laughs> in 1981. There's a PI that uh, uh, Mark, uh, the, the spy, sort of hires to spy on Anna. And he goes to investigate. And, uh, of course, he's killed by Anna in a, a fit of, of murderous rage. Uh, and then, you know, it was, I believe, his lover. I think it was actually, like, his, his partner who went... Uh, and, and sort of pretended to be in like the building inspector mm-hmm. or whatever, and he also gets killed. So there's already like a, a certainly a gay couple who are again they're not really the main characters here, but they are also like people who just kind of get killed. And then there's Heinrich, who is almost certainly pan or bi, uh, and and like all about how hot. I mean, you can't blame him. Sam Neill in this movie no, is super hot, you know. Uh, <laughs> But I, I also love this character, Merritt, and I also felt like maybe it's because I, you know, had to watch a bunch of Austin Powers to uh, find, you know, the right <laughs> shots uh, for last week's little tiny video. But he feels like an Austin Power- Powers character who is just like just slightly this side of Austin Powers. You know what I mean? Like he's turned up all the way to 11, but he's not quite parody. And I, I loved him. I loved everything Heinrich does in this movie. I love his style. I love that he's like hangs out in a club at one point. It's oh, so much. I love that he gets stabbed at one point and he's just kind of fine with it the whole time he's talking with Sam Neill. He's just got this like rag shoved into the wound <laughs> and he's just chilling by Sam Neill the entire when they're having a conversation. He just toughs yeah. it out. He just deals with it. <sighs> yeah. So... Yeah, for me, I mean, this is a movie, like, nominally, I feel like this is a movie about a divorce and, like, about a relationship breaking down. I think a little deeper than that, this is just a movie about (laughs) the, like, complete insanity of being, of, like, being female. Um, Sure, sure. Because it's striking to me how this movie starts with uh, Anna having abandoned her son effectively um or that happens very early on like he he um uh what's his name mark um mark shows up and she's not there and her son has been on his own for like some undetermined period of time and looks like a while he's a mess right and in our culture at least like the worst thing that a woman can do is like abandon her child. Like that is yeah. just like seen to go against like God and nature and society and like everything. It's just like unthinkable. And so like right off the bat, they're like kind of just making her as like extreme as possible. And like, yeah. 
like, it's very easy to look at that character and, uh, think like, oh, she's like a bad person or she's just like possessed or deranged or something. But like, I feel like it's just like, what if we like actually like let, what would happen if like this character just like actually like expressed her like turmoil and like all the shit that was going on inside of her just from like being alive. And the answer is that it would be uh, terrifying, fucking terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. And like, there's a reason for that, right? Like Mark is, you know, in ways Mark is like a very bad man, but in other ways, he's also just like a very average man. Like, yeah, he's a yeah. spy. Yeah, he like, you know, does like a, a he's like fakes, uh, what's his name's drug overdose death. He, you know, yeah. blows up a house. He does some like secret agent, like action movie stuff in like the second half of the movie. But when it comes right. to like day to day stuff, he's just like a normal man who is as shitty as is shitty. I think basically within parameters of like at the time, at least maybe not now it was like acceptable as like, oh, this is like a normal man. Yeah. He, yeah. he had his wife yeah. sometimes, but like she hit him first and blah, blah, blah. Like this is OK. This right, is me like, right. this, you know, not me justifying it, but me like sort of thinking through the like reception yeah yeah no i know what you mean yeah yeah yeah. and um i think that's important because it's like there's no precipitating event in this movie like other than his his uh leaving there's no like um like something like midsummer has this event that happens where the main character's sister commits suicide and um, kills their parents at the same time. And that is like such this like psychic wound that it carries over through the whole movie. And you can trace that like the the arc of the movie from that point to the end in possession. That part is cut off. So like, yeah, you're not given a reason to like empathize with this character. And yet, I feel like that's yeah. what makes it so deeply uncomfortable too. That's is what, yeah. That you don't you don't get that that reasoning behind it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is sort of insofar as this is drawing on any kind of like Lovecraftian tradition. Uh, I think the way that it does that is just by not offering explanation. Or um, there's no like no one finds like a secret text at some point. Then it's like, oh, she must have read from this and summoned the demon. Like, no, it's just a manifestation of all of of like a lifetime of uh, of like everyday pain. And it's really scary. Yeah. It's it's like so the monster, I think, works only because of that. I think. I would I would be remiss to say it doesn't work entirely, but I did find the monster to be a little weird at times. And I think my the only thing that really kind of kept me going and kept me invested in the monster and the story and kind of how it relates to Isabel and Mark is that it the movie doesn't ever really stop to explain these things, which is also pretty rare for a horror movie because there's almost always one scene in the horror movie where somebody goes to a library or somebody mm-hmm. finds like the book and it explains <laughs> the reasoning behind it. But I, I really it's very much a cosmic horror movie that laced itself around a really intense romantic breakup and it's it's it could be difficult to watch i definitely i feel if you've been through an abusive relationship because it's it does not uh 
it can get a little over the top, but it's it very much yeah. uh, a cruel movie yeah. to both Mark and Isabella and how they kind of see each other and how they treat each other. Because neither of them are good. Like, there's no, like, Sam Neill's technically the main character, but, like, neither of them are, like, really good people. They're both really shitty to each other and really petty. And it gets out of hand. And as Merritt, you so, like, wonderfully put, it's definitely, like, a manifestation of kind of the insanity. And I think the lack of explanation really sells the horror on it. Otherwise, I don't think it would work at all. Like, if there was just, like, a scene where the movie stops and Samuel learns, like, she's just been, like, you know, sacrificing people to conjure the demon, I feel like they would take so much away yeah. from from the fear and the and the unknowing kind of part of the whole movie. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say again, to uh, to draw that comparison to Midsummer. Um, I've only seen the director's cut of Midsummer, which is like really long and I guess has some stuff in it that the theatrical release didn't have. And mm-hmm. a lot of that is scenes before they go to, um, they go to like the community, right? It's just like at yeah. home right. and it's just like their arguments. And that to me, was some of the scariest parts of, uh, of that movie of just like the way that those arguments play out. And it's not exactly the same as it plays out here, because in Midsommar, the main character is much more like um, retreating and sort of like interiorly focused. Whereas in this movie, the interior is like turned inside out. But yeah, like those early fights are like some of are like the most frightening parts of the movie, I feel like. Yeah. I need to see that because I think I've only seen the theatrical cut. But even I, what yeah. makes it to that is is also like yeah. just scary and infuriating of course as well um i feel like um but it's also a lot of what i got from this movie was a lot of images of guilt and like manifestations of Mm. guilt as well as pain a lot of it for me and you know this is just my read of course and again i i don't know that i saw the right cut of this movie either so you know take it with a (laughs) grain of salt uh but especially in the body horror stuff it just seemed so catholic (laughs) in a lot of ways Mm. like there were so many images of jesus on the cross as she's bleeding this i you know she calls it a miscarriage at one point and she calls it like a miscarriage of chance lady chance or something if i'm if i'm saint chance something like that sister chance okay sorry um and it's not like an actual or like a it's a physical thing that happens. It's a physical manifestation, but it's not like an actual miscarriage, or at least I don't think it's supposed to be or, or supposed to be taken that way. It's supposed to be more like her like emotions, her guilt. All of this is just like literally pouring out of her. And that performance, like I just have to say, is like really breathtaking. Like that's an yeah. uncomfortable scene. She, uh, and she goes for it. She and went best actress. That counts. Yeah, I mean, good, because yeah. it's it's really incredible. It's really incredible. And, like, the fact that, again, this is all, like, very, like, me seeing it maybe as a very Catholic thing, but, but the fact that she, like, has sex with the monster and that she, like, it, it just, like, it's almost all, all this stuff about bodies and sex and guilt and it being, like, tied into desire and guilt that, again, I thought was so good about this and so good about the body horror aspects. It almost feels to me like the movie is this really surreal melodrama that has, like, horror 
not just frosting or lacing, but like punctuation. Like so many yeah. horror beats are are here, even if they're very subtle until we get to the really, really, you know, kind of bloody, goopy stuff. But like there is this horror pacing to it. Something very scary happens at, at a sort of cadence in this movie, even if it's not the supernatural horror stuff. Even if it is just not just I don't belittle this, but even if it is the domestic violence, even if it is the sort of outpouring of emotion. There are even some really uncomfortable scenes that aren't the the really, you know, um, explosive stuff. Like Very early on in the beginning of the movie, she is like a ballet instructor and she's oh, yeah. twisting yeah, yeah. this girl's leg for an uncomfortable amount of time. And there are, there are moments even when, when Mark's character is like about to bathe the sun and he like looks at him weirdly and like holds him in his hands. Like there's just these uncomfortable moments of, of closeness and uh, like there's no contortion with the sun. I guess the contortion is only with the, the ballerina, but it's just like, there's a lot of just discomfort with bodies in general. That is super, super like key. I think uh, to this movie, mm-hmm. I think, one of the most interesting aspects too for me is the fact that it was filmed in West Berlin during yeah. like the height of the Cold War. Like this yeah. is this is very and, and you can definitely it's not like a a very uh it doesn't push the Cold War as hard as it as I'm surprised as it would, but it's definitely like a theming that kind of kind of runs under the relationship and and you always kind of get a sense of I think a lot of it has to do with where they film. There's always a sense of kind of paranoia. There's this very good mm. sense of kind of enclosure and walling off and how everybody is kind of on edge uh, just in general from the war and especially in Berlin. It's it's a lot to kind of handle in one go, which is which is surprising because uh, I've seen a lot of horror. We, we, we've all seen yeah. a, a lot <laughs> of horror movies. And, yeah. and, and I think the Midsummer, because I know we mentioned it when we were first talking about it as comparison to Heredity, I think the Midsummer uh, comparison is a lot more apt here because the movie does a really good job of just building that kind of fear and that sense of dread and tension from like the moment it begins. And it mm-hmm. never really lets go even at the end. And <sighs> a lot of it is, I think, the uncomfortableness it can just lace into every section and every scene and every character. Cause there's just, there's like, outside of like maybe Heinrich, who's like, he's like super weird and he's hilarious, <laughs> but like, he's probably the most normal guy out of like the, the main people you really get to know. And yeah. even like him, like they, they go out of their way to like make Heinrich like weird. And it's, he's like the only person you can maybe root for, but everything is just so, <laughs> so just deeply uncomfortable to watch and i'm not uh, a victim of obviously kind of like relationship abuse but i can't i can't even imagine uh watching this movie like with any history of that and just like the sheer kind of like i don't know rawness to a lot of the acting it definitely it's very much not a slick hollywood horror film which were a lot coming out of the 80s it's it's I think you have a note here. It's definitely like a guy's like '80s videotape that you just stumble on, yep. like in yep. their box, in their collection, and that's definitely how this movie feels. It's like a home video where you just like lose control. Yeah, or like a home video that's been haunted, and it, yeah. it makes you like you've been tripping on something, and it makes you 
have this vision almost. Yeah. It doesn't like, have yeah. arbitrary rules like the ring. This one just goes. This one yeah. doesn't care. It just yeah, plays. There are no like, rules. <laughs> just right. Like Outback Steakhouse. So I, I have to ask though, what did yeah. you what did you what did you two think of the monster and kind of not just its only appearance, but kind of like oh the God. actual like I don't want to say real horror elements, but you you know what I mean when I'm saying uh, the the more the, horror like, scene, the more stuff, traditional the horror, horror scenes I guess in a very non traditional horror movie. Yeah, Merritt, do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the weirdest thing about that scene to me is like. It's like one of the least weird scenes in this I know. movie. I know. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, there's like the, maybe I just am like inert to this stuff. And maybe if I were more of a normie, I would just be like, oh my God, that's a monster that's doing sex. <laughs> but like, it's like. It was almost relieving. Thank God something normal is happening. Um, like, it's not to me. It's yeah. not shot like a rape scene. Like it's just shot like he walked in on them having sex. And yeah. Yeah. 100%. Uh, and you can tell at this point too, his brain is just like already like totally just gone out the window. <laughs> and uh like I could think of like off the top of my head, I can think of like a bunch of scenes that are way weirder than this. Like uh the old lady killing herself. Um, yeah. the son throwing himself face down in the bathtub like yep. there's this is like when you finally just see it it's like oh yeah okay it's yeah. just a sex yeah I can see it. that yeah. uh-huh. sure um, <laughs> like prior to that point it's kind of it has looked like a hellraiser uh, yeah just with like the it's like a weird ball of flesh in the corner that's like being fed stuff and uh yeah it does look a lot like you know th- how the guy is like putting himself back together frank yeah in, uh, <laughs> in hellraiser yeah frank god yeah. we should <laughs> we have to do hell have we done hellraiser for those oh. yet we have not oh we need to we, we need have to. not and we will it's <laughs> a great movie yeah um yeah yeah so like oh yeah and like the subway uh tunnel scene like the subway tunnel scene <laughs> so t- like in, in comparison, this scene is just like, yeah, I guess this is happening. So uh, I I wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. It was like, yeah, this monster looks pretty good too for like what it is. Like, like I buy it. Um, I feel like when you do when you like show the monster, sometimes like you run the risk of it looking really stupid, right? Right, like, yeah. yeah. Especially think, back then. Yeah, especially back then. Like, I think obviously the whole, like, oh, you don't show the monster thing. I don't think that's always true. Like, sometimes you do show it, and it's, like, fucking terrifying still. Yeah. Uh, in this case, like, I don't think it's meant to be. Like, I think the scene is meant to be, like, weirdly normal at this point. Uh, and it's... I, I, am, I was kind of surprised that it was in the movie. But, uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, for me... Like, I don't know if I'm just a fucking weirdo. And maybe I am. Maybe I shouldn't say this. But, like, it was actually almost a little hot. Like, it, it sure. she was, like, having a great time. Like, that's the thing. It, again, the way it was shot, the way the sound design was, this this did not come across as, like, an aggressive thing no, at, all. at all. It was, like, she is really enjoying herself. And it's almost 
kind of hot in a way. And it's also very much like, again, like I keep going back to this idea of guilt and it's like a literal guilty pleasure. Like this is this manifestation. This movie is not subtle about fucking anything. So the fact that she is fucking her like meat monster thing that she has made (laughs) out of killing people kind of makes sense. Like she is she's like giving into it a little bit. She's like giving into her weird desires. She's just giving into all of it. She wants to make my understanding or my interpretation is she's kind of making her perfect man, right? Like instead of Mark who, you know, abuses her and is a dick, she's making a guy who's just as hot as him, looks just like him, but probably listens to her, probably does what she tells him what to do, probably fucks her the way she wants to be fucked. I don't know. Maybe, again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but, like, for me, it just felt like a continuation of a lot of that stuff, a lot of that sort of theme. Yeah, like, one thing about that scene (laughs) that's uh, really interesting to me is when she's saying almost, because you're sp- yeah. like what what that means yeah. in the context of that scene is like oh it's almost done it's almost it's almost like going to be a a mark doppelganger but also yeah. she's saying like almost and like, like she's, she's like almost done like, like she's, she's almost finished she's almost finished yeah she's almost done yeah. that's how i honestly read the scene yeah i mean it's and she's fun. like directing him right like almost like almost you know like he's going to listen to her he's going to be this perfect man you know, I don't I th- know. It's I think a lot of it also kind of ties into the ending, which is which yeah. I feel I don't know if I like the ending, to be completely honest. Okay. Yeah. Um. So spoiler, if you really don't want to know. So spoiler alert, obviously, <laughs> uh, the at the ending, uh, Mark confronts her after like go just gunning down people. In the middle of the street, because he's, <laughs> yep. he's he's we have our action sequence. Yeah, he's yeah, full and then- <laughs> lost it at this point. He's he's getting chased by I believe it's is it the police or is it's his former it's his comrades right? It's uh, the it's yeah it's both I think it's the cops yeah. and then like also like you know whoever he was working for whatever like yeah. spy agency. Um, so he gets chased. They go up to like this big uh, house. They go up this tower and. They kind of reach about halfway through, and he can, gets confronted by Isabella and uh, the monster, or the doppelganger of Mark. And then the cops shoot both Mark and Isabella, and uh, the monster, kind of like fully formed as Sam Deal, uh, escapes and uses Sam Deal's um, dead body, kind of like he's pretending to commit suicide and throws him over the railing. Uh, and back then, people just believed that shit happens. I think, I think like, Samuel. <laughs> no, I think Samuel throws himself off. The- oh, does he? Okay, yeah, I, 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 I must have. I, yeah. I thought. Of- okay, so the monster just kind of escapes, and he goes back to the house. And I don't know. I think it just ends on a really weird note. the The explosions in the background, I'm assuming, were due to the war. Um. But, I mean, there's also implications that it could be kind of like an apocalypse or anything like that. Because it doesn't, yeah. it kind of just abruptly ends. Because mm-hmm. he gets to the house where their kid is. And the kid just runs to the bathroom and, like, I guess tries to play dead in the bathtub. Well, he's like, yeah, don't uh, open the door. Don't open the door. Yeah, don't, don't open, open the, the door. door. And, and he, like, face downs in the water to, like, kind of make him look, uh, look dead. And then you kind of just see the monster staring through the glass at another young woman who's there with the boy. Well, wait, and so yeah, but we haven't talked about that character. 
Yeah, yeah I was not. gonna say that's another crucial yeah, little that's piece another, here. That's yeah. one. That's one. Sorry. So we'll we'll go. I'll, we'll circle back to this, but let's let's go over who that is. Yeah. So her name is Helen, and uh, I don't know if that's mentioned in the the film, but that's the character's name according to the script. Uh, also played by Isabella Johnny. Uh, so she plays both Anna and Helen. Helen yes. is uh, Bob's. Okay. Also, who names a child Bob? Like. That's deranged. It's weird. It's like Robert. Yeah. You would be like, oh, Robert. It's, like he, Bob is the name of an adult Robert. man. It's just Bob. It's just Bob. Bob is a dog. You are not it's, setting your child up for success no, if you just named Bob him Bob. Bob is like on his birth certificate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we meet this character like, I don't know, like a third of the way into the film. And she is Bob's teacher. And when Mark first meets her, he's like, what is this? Some kind of joke? What you've got a wig on or something? And it's it is it just Isabella Johnny yeah. with bangs and uh, green contacts in, <laughs> and um, yep. like they sort of have this thing, this relationship throughout the movie. Uh, I don't think they sleep together. Like they they just sort of like take their clothes off and lay down next to each other. Yeah, uh, yeah. If I remember correctly, and she, then she's basically like kind of Sam Neill's second love interest after yeah, like kind of who, I don't I like more his rebound I guess than love interest well yeah but and also she is like also his wife like yeah she is yeah. Uh, in many ways the counterpoint to the Sam Neill monster and the end of the film you know uh the the Sam Neill thing uh arrives at the house and like the final shot is just her face and her eyes like glowing almost and so it's like like both of the originals are dead and these copies now um yeah in whatever sense their copies are the only things that are left yeah that's the that's the only kind of real i think ending kind of thing uh i think i kind of pulled from is you know the copies have taken over uh it actually took me a, a minute to to realize that she was playing the same she was playing mm-hmm. two different characters because uh, for a minute when we got to the school and you see Helen and and Isabel, uh, Johnny is playing a different person than Anna. I just got really I, I don't know. I thought it was with all the surrealism happening. It could easily like I thought it was like another weird dream sequence kind of mm. going into the movie. Um, but as it. I, I don't know. I, uh, the ending itself, I think for a really weird movie, I guess it fits that it kind of has this this kind of open-ended ending. But I think some of it is undercut by the kid. Uh, I think the don't open it, don't open it works. I think that's scary. But I think the minute he goes like face down in the water, it, it just kind of falls apart because it gets a little too comical almost for the intensity of everything that's built up to it. And, like, the kid, like, clearly is trying to, like, act like he's dead, but I don't know. I don't think it plays well that way. I don't think it works that well. I guess there was no other real way to per- convey the kid is dead if they wanted to go that method. It just, it's it, because they never go back to the kid after that. He just, like, face downs in the water, and, you know, you're just kind of like, oh, well, he's either drowning himself or he's just playing dead. And I guess the movie's ending. Okay. Bye, everybody. Nobody cares about Bob, clearly, still. Yeah, it's it's pretty weird. I definitely mm, I definitely saw a different ending and then sort of looked up on Wikipedia what happens in the sort of <laughs> actual ending, I guess. Because again, was, what I got, was your I, ending? I'm actually I watched a weird 
so it ends right with Anna uh, sort of shooting herself and the original Mark, I guess. Uh, and, and then, you know, doppelganger Mark just kind of it just kind of ends on his face. Oh, like he, he just he just kind of it's just on him, huh. basically, um, which is interesting. Uh, so I did not get any of the thing with with Bob in in, in the bath. Sorry, Bob in the bathtub. <laughs> it's just so weird. Bob's Burgers in the bathtub. Um, but yeah, which I I thought was a was an okay ending. Like it does feel like there's a beat there, and okay, uh, we we've had this sort of final encounter in a way, and now whatever this this monster will be, I, I guess he's not a monster. I guess he's just Mark Two. I don't know. Uh, Mark Sequel. II will just kind of move on. Mark yeah, <laughs> exactly. I didn't dislike the ending though that I that I watched by any means, but I I am very curious so, about. It. it sounds like it just ends on like a silhouette, like of of. Well, the Mark actual II ending shot in in the full version is Helen. Um, yes. Okay, so okay, she's gotcha. facing away from the door. And, you know, all these sirens and things are going off. There's flashes coming in from the windows. And we just end on her face. And her, like, eyes are, like, you know, bright green and almost glowing. And, and the, um, the glass in the door is frosted, so you can only kind of make out uh, Mark II in the background mm, a little okay, bit. Like, it's, okay. it's weird to end on Helen, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, is this almost like, okay, the better version of themselves has survived this? Like, is that some weird, bizarre guilt thing again? Or, again, I, I, I didn't see this version of the ending. I also believe that there were some other things cut out of the 97-minute cut, including... All right, who, who, are, yeah. these, who are these people with the pink socks? Um, what the fuck is up with the pink <laughs> socks? Okay, well, did you get the scene at the beginning with the... Uh... <coughs> Sorry about that. Uh, no did problem. you get the yeah. scene at the beginning with Mark talking to like his employers about how he's like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Yes. Uh, yes. All, it does, all, it, all it they say is, that. oh, does our man still wear pink socks? Uh, <laughs> so like the guy gotcha. that they're following. Okay. I'm it's, not it's, sure it's if that. that is a, if that's something, uh, if that's something that like people would have known about, like, I don't think so. Okay. I'm searching pink socks yeah. to see if this was like a secret symbol of something, but I don't think so. It's a weird, like, it's a weird moment. It's, you know, and it's like just, a, I don't know, it feels like a throwaway piece of dialogue that never gets resolved. Like, it just kind of, it feels like it's setting itself up to something uh, a lot, a lot more, in, uh, not interesting, but to be resolved. And it kind of just falls apart. But that's a lot of Mark's spy stuff is. For for the, their character to be a spy, which I think was a really interesting choice, I guess that fits more with them, it being a Cold War, uh, having him sure. be able to move around more easily. They needed, obviously, an excuse. Um, that's definitely one that would work. Uh, uh, the spy stuff, though, is a lot of, outside of like him at the end, when he just goes full spy mode and starts blowing and shooting people, <laughs> it, it starts kind of... Uh, it's more or less relegated to the background of what he does. He could be basically anything at that point, like through the majority of the movie. Yeah. But yeah. I, I am. So I guess the, the most important of the questions is, yes, did you, did you find possession scary? Like, like, did you find it an actual, 
would you classify it? I guess it's a two part question. Would you classify mm-hmm. Possession as a horror movie? And did the movie actually scare you? I know it's from the 80s and it can be difficult to have 80s horror movies kind of scare uh, now because just in the general limitations or even sometimes <laughs> the storytelling. But I'm, I'm really kind of curious where you two, because I, I think I'm just kind of, I don't know. I think it was more uncomfortable for me than scary, mm-hmm. uh, sure. which I yeah. think is an element of horror, certainly. Um, but I don't think it was like fear. Like to to bring it to the midsummer comparison, I think midsummer is the same way with me. Unlike Hereditary, which like genuinely scared me, uh, midsummer and Possession are both more movies that I felt are uncomfortable. Uh, they're very dread-inducing. They're very kind of... Uh, you kind of shift in your seat a lot, but I don't know if it's it's something that will... that I would say will, like, keep me up at night or genuinely, like, made my, like, made me jump or made my, like, heart race. Yeah, I... Yeah. I'm like, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I don't know if there is a movie that does that. Like, I don't know if if movies have the capacity to scare me in that respect anymore. I think they can repulse me. I think they can unsettle me, but short of like a jump scare, I don't know that a movie. Yeah. Ever since I got into horror movies, I don't know that I have that, that kind of reaction. That's the the plight of being a horror movie fan. Is at a certain (laughs) point, your senses do get dulled a little. This is the hard stuff films. Yeah. We're going to, I need to start digging around some man's bin of VHS tapes to find something good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's how I watch this. So, you know, <laughs> I, um, I, whew, yeah, I have a little bit of that problem, but I'm still absolutely capable of uh, being scared in the moment and then being fine afterwards kind yeah, of thing. I think I'm the same um, way. Yeah. Like I, I definitely like, I could, I could point to plenty of classic horror things that still actually scared me like i genuinely was scared when i watched the exorcist and i watched that for the first time as an adult i was in my Mm. 20s and like i i actually was just like that fucking freaked me out (laughs) like just something about it like it's not again it's never oh you think something's going to happen but like it just it, it just hits you in a particular way um god there are even like cheesy things that definitely have disturbed me and made me like think about it for you know a couple of hours afterwards like i've been fine but still very much like oh fuck (laughs) you know especially i mean just certain things that just hit my own like fears like certain things about viruses or you know like certain maladies like just will actually kind of scare me and get under my skin a little bit um with this I was much more fascinated than scared for sure. And a lot of that has to do with the cinematography. I thought there were also like just some really good editing choices that kept it. I know I saw a different cut. So maybe these were different editing choices, but there were a lot of editing choices that kept things flowing and still kind of mysterious. Um, Like there were some somewhat disconnected scenes that were put together, but I liked it. I liked what it did with the flow. Uh, But yeah, like, Okay. <laughs> that monster didn't scare me at the end. Again, I thought that scene was yeah. like kind of kind of great, uh, and it wasn't it wasn't freaky. It was it was kind of good. There's there's a lot of things about body horror that I find weirdly comforting, and it probably because I have like severe OCD and have certain fears of of certain like real life things that genuinely scare me, and I find putting it in a cinematic format is very comforting for me, and it's probably a reason I like 
horror so much or body horror so much specifically. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just found it really fascinating. I really, really liked this movie more than I thought maybe I would from watching, you know, the first few scenes thinking like, okay, this is a domestic drama. And like you said earlier on, Colin, like, oh, somebody's going to be possessed. Like somebody's going to have a demon in them or whatever, you know, like more classic tropes. But I love that this went in a fucking very different direction with a lot of things. So, yeah. But, oh, sorry. To the second question, if, 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 if it's horror, I think it does. I mean, like, it may not be, you know, like pure horror. I, again, like to to both of you have, have made the point that I think there's a few genres kind of in here. But I think once you have blood and, and guts and, and monsters, you're pretty much there. Yeah. You're pretty much in that territory. So you 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 crossed you crossed into horror land at that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I would also I think it's a lot of genres kind of in the melting pot. I think halfway through it becomes a horror movie. Sure. Uh, yeah. Once, once you really, I think at, during and after the uh, miscarriage scene is where it really kind of leans into the horror and it leans into the terrifying uh, to try and scare it genuinely scares audience. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the movie though. I mean, my, I mean, we're all obviously pretty desensitized to a degree, but I think for what it is, for the time it was made in, and for the risks it did in fact take because a lot of movies don't portray the monster having sex if it does at all with the with the victim as pleasurable for the victim which is actually pretty interesting that he went that direction and i think a lot of it works because of i don't want to say the writing the writing i think was pretty scattershot in terms of quality there's some really weird lines in this one there's some really <laughs> The way to deliver them is is pretty bad at times, but I think on the whole, a lot of it is saved from the cinematography and the the editing style and the general direction of the scenes. I, I feel this is definitely not a movie for everyone. Like this is uh, this is one of those kind of horror movies. I feel I would almost I'd only recommend to people I know are kind of more to the surrealism. Uh, style or more into cosmic horror because it's it, uh, uh, people really and I guess it's a part of horror is people really kind of want not resolution but explanation for what what is happening and why it is happening and I'm definitely guilty of this especially when I was younger but I, I think a lot of what makes Possession such a such an interesting and such a fascinating film is it just as Merrick pointed out like there's no catalyst to really kick the story off when you just kind of are dropped into the middle of this melodrama that just gets just ramps up in intensity every scene and it can be really overwhelming and it can get really kind of cheesy at times but if you kind of stick with it i think this really is i think it is a not a cult classic but it's one of those kind of like lost movies that people won't talk about a lot but definitely should talk about more yeah, this was a video nasty yeah, <laughs> it was a video Actually. nasty, which is a term that I just learned about. <laughs> uh, I have um, I have two kind of little small fun notes uh, as well. And and I uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like this is one I'm going to definitely return to a couple times um, because I feel this way about most things that aren't fairly cut and dry, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of the narrative. And yes, I, I think a lot of it does genuinely just have to do with the fact that this is a, a very Euro Euro early 80s production for sure as well. Like there are just elements of that in here as well. Uh, but one thing I loved was the sound design. 
I really, oh, really wow. loved the sound design. Oh, we're gonna fight design. about this. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, well, okay. I, I mainly wanted to note that there were several sound cues. Not all of the music, but sound cues, like like weird distortion effects that just reminded me so much of a couple of scenes in The Thing. There's like a really specific moment in The Thing, which we've uh, talked about on the podcast before, um, where I think it's like the ha- one of the half-formed things like runs by somebody and it has this wild, just like bizarre distortion synth effect like this like weird high pitch, like that just kind of, sorry, I can't really do it with my voice, but it makes this bizarre noise. And there were several cues, especially when the sort of chorus was going really, really off kilter. And like, it was super, super distorted. It started to sound like that and kind of feel like that and had that weird crunchy alien effect that I, I loved, but okay. I go ahead. I hate Counterpoint. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this movie would have been a, I gave it four and a half stars on my letterbox. Nice. And I took the half off because of the sound design. Um, wow. <laughs> I feel like it's the only thing in the movie that didn't work for me. I feel like okay. it was so restrained early on with just like not having non-diegetic music and like not doing any mm. of this stuff. And then like around halfway through the film, they start doing those stings. And then there's a part, yeah, I sure. think it's the part where he's like running from the cops where they start <laughs> playing the synth music. And it's like, why are you doing this? Like, I guess I'm biased towards, um, I'm biased against non-diegetic music in film a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's sort of this weird shortcut to creating emotion. Um, sure. Yeah. And whatever it can be used in, in good ways. But like, I feel like that when people are saying like, Oh, this movie is too serious. Like it takes itself too seriously. That is where I see that in the sound design. When you get like, okay. wow, it's like, <laughs> oh, this movie thinks what's happening right now is like really, in- it's like telling you, hey, this is really intense or hey, something wild's happening. And it's like, I know you, you are already doing that. You don't need to Everything tell in me. the movie is wild, man. Everything like is know. already wild. You don't like, I'm not, I believe you already. It's like, it, it's pushing it over the top into like, okay, guys, like. I don't know, but that's, I freely admit that I am biased <laughs> and that I went into this preferring film that is really restrained in its sound design. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I, um, I also wanted to note a really genuinely funny thing that I got from a, a piece on like RogerEbert.com or something. It was like mm-hmm. a really good piece about this movie. I think it was during, uh, uh, like a BAM uh, retrospective of of this director's films, which, by the way, this is the only English language film uh, yeah. uh, that he's made, which is cool and interesting. Uh, but apparently the creature designer for the, the monster itself uh, was Carlo Rambaldi, who one year later made E.T., which is a oh very my different God. movie. <laughs> he's the designer behind E.T. I find E.T. scarier than this thing. Yeah, I, I do too. E.T. scares the shit out of me. I think E.T. like genuinely scared me as a child. Like oh, yeah, it's no, a very it's a very uncomfortable looking alien to look at. Like yeah, it's, it sucks. I think he's supposed to be like the friendly alien, but like man, they did not succeed at that. No, he fucking sucks. And I mean there is that whole scene in E.T. that is very scary where E.T. is dying and 
you know, the government agents have yeah, got them. This is really disturbing. I just hate yeah. E.T. It's like, why does he look like that? Why does he have this little belly and and like ribs sticking out and just like these little <laughs> flat feet? Like, he sucks. I fucking hate E.T. <laughs> anyway, that's my E.T. take. He's scary. I hate him. He sucks. God, I'm so. I'm we so stand, glad we this stand for the tentacle monster instead at this in this podcast. The the like sex tentacle monster. Yes, we stand for the I, sex tentacle monster. Look, you all know how I feel about it, so it's fine. Over like, ET I, and his I, weird ass glowing finger. I hope this doesn't awaken <laughs> anything in me. I mean, what if it does? It's fine if it does. You know, I mean, I you watched Possession, too. and then you know, two, you know, two days later, you're just you're scrolling around, you're looking for for something to scratch that itch, and that's that's fine. You know, that's okay. <laughs> uh, I was just marking down the ET is scary uh, moment there because I I might need to use that later in life, uh, aka when doing little uh, clips for this podcast. Uh, well, everyone, I I'm really glad, Merritt. Thank you for uh, yes, thank suggesting you. this yeah. because I I really kind of loved watched it. it. Yeah, Sam Neill is in three truly great uh, horror movies. Well, yeah, I'm I'm putting this one in there, uh, and one very good, uh, I guess, sci-fi adventure movie that has one horror scene in it. Yeah, so that's that's good too. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, good track record. Were there any other uh, notes anybody wanted to address about possession before we started to wrap up here? No, oh, I think we we covered everything. I was gonna, I was gonna mention the sound design in my thoughts on it, but Merits Merits has wonderfully summed up my issues with the eighties <laughs> twang that that just it's wow. in every fucking eighties horror movie, and I yeah. ju- I just hate it so much. I hate that synthesizer nonsense. And I get it was for the time, fine, but god damn it, it did not age well. It's fine. I might be the only person here who was probably, like, a conscious enough being during most of the 80s to maybe have, have been poisoned by that. So it's, that's also <laughs> possible what happened here. <laughs> I have, like, distinct memories of watching movies in the 80s. So it... it it, it is, like, genuinely possible that that's what's going on. My, my like, five-year-old brain just took in too much of that, and that's why I like it. But <laughs> that's also okay. We, uh, you know, we, we take all, all, all kinds of people at Fanbyte, people who like synth twang and those who don't. Uh, so that's fine. Uh, everyone, thank you so very much uh, for sharing this beautiful cinematic journey with us. Uh, we do actually have You Love to See It as its own feed now that this podcast will be a part of, uh, of course, as well as uh, the normal you love to see it. I it's I hesitate to call that normal because it's not like we only watch normal. Yeah, movies we watch there. normal shows on that one, <laughs> like um, like the knockoff of Ratatouille. Yeah, right. Ratatouille and like the Bash Brothers visual poem among our most successful episodes this, of but, You Love to See It. But is this so. is this the weirdest movie we've covered? Ah, uh, it's honestly, up there. I think it's a contender. Ratatouille is, is is weird that it exists. So <laughs> like, I'll be honest, I never even knew you guys did a knock. There's a there's a knockoff of Ratatouille, and D, that, whenever yeah. you guys said it, I just thought everyone on the fanbite staff did not know how to pronounce it, and I just didn't uh-huh. feel like correcting you and being that guy because <laughs> you just kept saying Ratatouille. What is it? Ratat Ratatouille, oh which is spelled close but not. Uh, 100% it's the same as Ratatouille. It is for a reason. Different, and that's the important part. <laughs> for 
for a reason. Yeah, I. To be honest, I think it's it's weirder than this movie. Oh wow! I think it maybe is weirder. I might have to watch uh, it. <laughs> but like, I, there's an argument to be made for sure. But I, I feel like it's weirder. I feel like it's it's even weirder. <laughs> Uh, but I'm glad. I'm glad it happened. Uh, so anyway, you can watch, uh, sorry, listen to both podcasts uh, in this very feed. You don't have to go anywhere for that. Of course, that is the You Love to See It feed, uh, which I'm very excited about. Of course, you can also listen to all of our podcasts at fanbyte.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Fanbyte Media, Instagram at Fanbyte, TikTok on Fanbyte, and of course, everything we write on fanbyte.com. Please do watch our very good streams, which many of them are very good, on twitch.tv slash fanbyte. So, Colin, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at BeguiledGamer. Awesome. Merit, where can we find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Merit Awesome. And if anybody feels the need to follow me, I am at DanielleRI on Twitter. So with that, thank you so much for watching it. Uh, and I guess I'll end with you'd love to scream it. <laughs>